Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We have been going through a series called By Faith Alone through the book of Romans. And we actually determined last September that we would take nine months to go through the book as a church. And so we spent the first 12 weeks going through the first four chapters of Romans. And if you know how I preach, that's about right. Um, and so if you know the book of Romans as well, you could probably go even longer. Um, we took a Christmas break and then we have joined back up. And so last week we started our season premiere, uh, 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 season two, uh, episode one. So today is episode two and we're jumping right into this. Um, and we are in Romans chapter five. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Romans five. Today we'll be reading, uh, today's reading will be verses 6 through 11, and I'll get to that momentarily, and we can read that together, but just kind of want to say some things, uh, a bit of an introduction to kind of bring us into focus here today. I think of all of God's attributes, all of his attributes, um, all of the complex doctrines and attributes of God that have been given to us throughout the scriptures. And when I think about all of these attributes, um, I think the love of God, as simple as that may sound, actually is probably one of the most misunderstood. I'm going to tell you why. Um, I think we misunderstand the love of God because we have a tendency to project our own ideas of love onto him as if his love and our love look the same. But I kind of want to challenge you today, just for a moment, maybe to do your best to shake off your preconceived notions of love or all your ideas of love that you've placed on God and allow God to speak for himself and to tell you what his love looks like and what his love is. And so before we get into the sermon and before we get into the particular scripture today, I actually want to pray a prayer over you, but I actually want to pray a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church of Ephesus. I'm going to read this scripture and then I'm going to pray the scripture over all of us this morning. And so you don't have to go there, but in Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul prays a prayer over the church at Ephesus. I want to pray that. I want to read that over you, and then I want to pray that over you. So just where you're at, if you could kind of just maybe settle in and and just kind of focus on these words, and then we'll pray. Paul says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone in this room including myself, would continue to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Jesus. And I pray that as we grasp this, that 
this morning's message would bring us closer to your heart, closer to an understanding, so that everyone in this room may be filled, would be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. So we'd walk out of here this morning knowing what your love is and knowing the difference between our love and yours. We're so incredibly thankful for the love demonstrated and displayed on the cross. We ask that you would open up our ears and our eyes to hear and see what you want us to hear and see. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we started our second season of By Faith Alone in chapter 5 of Romans, and we went through verses 1 through 10. Uh, I'm sorry, we went through verses 1 through 6. Apologies. Um, And in those first six verses of chapter 5, Paul, if you remember, describes three benefits. Now, we have like innumerous benefits in Christ Jesus, but Paul described three benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. So for those of us that have put our faith and trust and hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have innumerous benefits, but Paul outlined three. And if you remember, we actually discussed them during the week at our Connects. I hope that some of you were able to attend our Connects. We had a beautiful night on Tuesday. And we discuss these three benefits. We have peace with God, we have access to God, and we have joy in suffering. And there were beautiful benefits that we have in the Lord. And as the Apostle Paul continues to write his letter, he now enters into verses 6 through 11, and it kind of feels like that after he describes three of the beautiful benefits that we have in God, it kind of feels like he just pauses and marvels at the extraordinary love of God. God's love is so extraordinary. It's so unique. It's so vast. It's so deep. And it is so special. And so we're going to pause and marvel with Paul this morning in these five verses. And I just want us to look at the extraordinary love of God. Is that okay? So with that said, let's dive into chapter 5, verse 6. And I'm going to read 6 through 11. Paul writes to the Romans. He says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. I want to stop right there just to explain that. When Paul writes this, he's saying for a righteous person, someone might die. He says, actually, someone will scarcely die. I want you to know what a righteous person is. In this particular context, it's a person who does a lot of outward good stuff, but maybe inwardly is not as good. So Paul says, yeah, there may, there, you may rarely find somebody that might die for someone who does all the right things. And then Paul goes on and says, but even a person who does the right things inward and outward, people might die. But nonetheless, God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen? Six verses. 
Six verses reveal what makes God's love so extraordinary. So, so what makes his love so extraordinary? What makes his love so unique, so different, so out of this world? Well, there's three things that I want to talk about today. First, what makes God's love so extraordinary is who he loves. Second, what makes his love so extraordinary is how he loves. And third, what makes his love so extraordinary is when he loves. Now, we could also say this in another way. We could say it like this. The object, the cost, and the timing of God loves makes it extraordinary. So, if you want to be blown away by God's love, just look at who he is loving. Who he is loving. Right? I mean, I'm blown away sometimes when I see some of the spouses. I'm like, wow. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm blown away by my wife, right? We just look at who, if you want to be mind blown by God's love, just look at who he's loving. And before you point to the person next to you, just look in the mirror. You want to be mind blown by God's love, just look at who he's loving. Paul describes who he's loving or the objects of his love. Did you notice in verse 6, he called them weak? Then he continued, he's verse 6, he says, ungodly. Then in verse 8, he says, sinners. Then in verse 10, he says, enemies. Put that together, he says, weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. In other words, God pursues, are you ready? Broken, unholy people who want nothing to do with him. God pursues regularly broken, unholy people who want absolutely nothing to do with him. Now, the truth is that on a human level, this kind of love really doesn't exist. And I was, I was kind of wrestling through the text this week. It actually took me a while to put all this together. I was trying to find some sort of human, like, story, you know, like a preacher. You know, you want to preach to their head, but you want to preach to their heart. So find a story you can insert here to make everyone say, ah, I get it. But I just can't find a human story that matches God's love because it's extraordinary, And so I just decided to Google top reasons why people get a divorce. I don't know why I Googled that, but I just felt like that's where I wanted to go. And in no particular order, there was 10. I picked out four that I just thought I'd share this morning. And and I just kind of put here um, this morning. But number one, and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, is infidelity. Right? It's this idea... You know, you you cheated on me, you violated my trust, you gave yourself away to someone else. The second one that that I picked out actually was a little, actually very superficial, and to me was probably the most surprising of them all, was weight. Right? It's all right, you can laugh a little bit. Sometimes you have to laugh at our sinfulness, man. Sometimes you just got to laugh at it because it's just so ridiculous. Everyone feels better now. (laughs) Right? Look, weight was on there. Talk to Google. This is not something that I put. Weight was on there. And so I actually try to break that down. What is it? You don't look the same. Right? You let yourself go. I am no longer physically attracted to you. Now, we laugh, but our world is like this. We are every bit as superficial as this list. So wait. 
Number three, we're going to get back to understanding here, was expectations, right? Now, Pastor Sherry's a marriage counselor in here. I'm sure some of these make more sense to her than a lot of us, but expectations, what does that mean? You're not what I thought, right? Now that we're living together, <laughs> and I think everyone has to go through that, right? I'm going to let you know now, if you're dating in this room or engaged, look, look, it's not what you think. <laughs> When I get home, I like to put my socks right on the ground, wherever they land. Not Jamila, no. She thought we were going to get married and the socks were going to go in the hamper. They're not. They're on the ground. Right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're not what I thought. Right? Uh, this, this isn't going the way I imagined it to go. We have a lot of idealistic thinkers in here. Right? Oh, man, it's going to be like this. Right? Expectations. And then the last one is, is intimacy, right? We're not connecting. We're not connecting. You're not fulfilling my, my, my physical needs, or you're not fulfilling my emotional needs. Right? We feel like roommates, right? We're not connecting. Now, I want to make a clarification here. Uh, some, some of these reasons, some of these are like legitimate, they're concerns. They're concerns. Legitimate concerns. But the point I want to make is this. Even in our closest relationships, we have attached to them reasonable limits and conditions, right? I mean, reasonable. We're talking about reasonable limits and conditions. Like if you cheat on me, right, this is a boundary. This is a border, right? And they're reasonable. Even in our most closest relationships, we have reasonable, healthy boundaries and conditions and limitations. Well, let me just say this. With God, that's not the case. You see, the difference between God's love and our love if I could put it like this, is the difference between attraction and grace. The difference between our love and God's love, the way we love and the way God's love is, is attraction and grace. Let me, let me break that down. Attraction, right? What does the power of attraction teach us? Well, the power of attraction teaches us that love is earned. You earn it, right? In other words, I could put it like this. Look good, be loved. Right? Look good, be loved. Now, the attraction is, is I got to perform a certain way. I got to look a certain way. And if I do, I, I, I might catch someone's attention. I'm attracting you to me. The power of attraction teaches us earned love. Look good, be loved. But the power of grace teaches us unconditional love. Can I flip it on you? If attraction says, look good, be loved then grace says, be loved and look good as a result of being loved. That's grace. That's grace. This is the life-changing truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We don't transform to attract God's love, but God's love transforms us and makes us more attractive. I feel like I need to say that again. And not because I want applause, but it's so important. It's the gospel message. We don't transform to attract God's love, but God's love transforms us and makes us more attractive. Now, just a, a, a food for thought here. Just a food for thought. Maybe, just maybe, you're struggling with sin 
Because you don't truly believe that God actually loves you. Maybe you are continually falling into sin because you don't quite believe that God actually loves you. And maybe you're struggling to believe God loves you because his love is so radically different than any love you've ever given out or been given to you. I think it's worth repeating. Listen closely. God's love. God loves broken, unholy people who want absolutely nothing to do with him. The moment that you awaken to that truth, your life is changed. The moment you awaken to that truth, your life is forever marked and you no longer look the same. If who loves God, if, if the who of God's love blows you away, just wait until you hear how God loves. Just wait until you hear how God loves. I want you to see this. Remember the who of God, right? Who God loves is extraordinary, but how he loves is extraordinary as well. The who of God's love is the object of God. Uh, God. What is he loving? Who is he loving? Those are the objects. Now, can you write this down and just take note or just kind of think about this? The objects of God's love are sinners and haters. The objects of God's love are sinners and haters. You might be sitting in the room saying, when have I ever hated God? I'm going to tell you something. If you do not love his word, his word represents him. And so you don't love God. If there's ever been a moment in time in your life where you have abandoned his word, where you have not trusted his word, where you have turned and run to sin, as a result, you've gone the opposite direction of God. You have been a hater of God's word. The objects of God's love are sinners and haters. And that's already mind-blowing, but here's the second part. The cost of God's love was separation and death. What blows us away about God's extravagant, extraordinary love is not just who he loves, but how he loves. You see, God not only loves those who hate him, but he demonstrates that love by sacrificing his own life on their behalf. Can I just say this? I see it all the time on Facebook and Instagram, especially in the new year. Like, down with the haters, right? Like, cutting you off 2020, right? Like, if this year you didn't add anything to my life, you're not on my friend. You know what I mean? Like, don't be surprised if you don't find that I'm your friend on Facebook or Instagram, right? Because I cut you off because you hated on me. You didn't like my post. You said this about my picture, right? And, 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 and we're out with, and can I be, and there is some reason, like, toxic people out. If you don't add to me, you're gone right we see that all the time but not so with God if you really want to know just how much God loves you look at him loving you while you were a sinner and a hater of him but also look at how he loves you and that is demonstrated in the cross look at the cross look at the cross if you really want to know God how do you love what does your love look like look at the cross of Jesus Christ I know, I know the love of God and the cross of God feels basic. It could feel elementary. Someone in here might be thinking, man, I already know this. Let's, let's move on to the deeper things, the deeper waters. But I want to challenge you. There are too many Christians sitting in the pews on Sundays singing songs about God's love that are not being moved by God's love. 
I, I, I wanted to be careful with this next challenge because I recognize that not all of us, we don't all show emotion the same, but I do want to disturb some of you. And so you know me since I like to disturb a little bit. When was the last time the thought of the cross moved you to tears? I know we can easily say, hey, well, I'm not an emotional person and don't judge me. There's different ways we worship and I get that. You know, not everyone's the clapper, the bouncer, the jumper. You can equally have just as deep of a spiritual walk with the Lord and not be loud about it. In fact, sometimes when you're not loud about it, it's better in some ways because sometimes some people, some who are loud about it on the outside internally don't, are not about it at all. But, but just for the sake of challenge, and you know how to take this challenge, let the Holy Spirit challenge you. When's the last time the cross has been able to move you to tears? You see, the cross is the centerpiece to understanding God's love. The cross is God's love expressed. The cross is God's love demonstrated. The cross is God's love displayed. So when you look at the cross, you should see the extravagant, extraordinary, special, unique love of God fully displayed for all to see. And let me tell you, what does the cross show us? What do you see when you see the cross? Well, you should see two things. One more obvious than the other, but you should see Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, physically dying, but also relationally separating. Let me explain that. When you look at the cross, what should you see? Well, first and most obvious, you should see a physical death. You should see a brutal physical death. Why? Why did he have to die? Because death was the penalty for sin given to man in the garden. Since Genesis, this is the penalty of sin. It is death. Jesus had to physically die. But if you notice in the scriptures, Paul just doesn't talk about his death. Paul talks about blood. Blood. That's gruesome. Like, you could have left that part out, Paul. Like, why would you say blood? Because blood recalls Old Testament sacrifices. Let me paint a picture for you. During certain ceremonies and certain times of the year, all of Israel would come to bring sacrifices to the temple. And the high priest would stay up day in and day out, sacrificing thousands of animals. So many animals were sacrificed that they would have to build troughs so that the rivers of blood would flow flow down. These bloody sacrifices still didn't take away the sins of Israel. Then why do they do it? These bloody sacrifices foreshadowed the one who would come to remove the sins of the world. They looked forward. They looked ahead to the one that would come once and for all, every year, not animal after animal after animal, but the one who would come once and for all, one time, the sins of the entire world. These bloody, gruesome animal sacrifices didn't take Israel's sin away. They foreshadowed the one who was coming that would take the sins of the world away. Are you with me? What gross religion. Right? That's kind of grotesque, isn't it? Like, 
Wasn't there another way you could do this, God? Why, why, why does it have to be so bloody? Uh, how, how incredibly inhumane, if there's any animal lovers in this room, right? Like PETA, well, you know, like this is, this is terrible. Like, why would you do this? Why would your God do this? How in- incredibly inhumane, how grotesque, how bloody, how offensive. Why did God set it up this way? Let me tell you why. It is grotesque. It is offensive. It it can be inhumane. But he set it up this way so that when we recall the bloody mess of the cross, it should remind you of the bloody mess of your life. Sin is a mess. Sin is disturbing. A holy God who has eternally lived righteously cannot look at one iota of sin and not be disturbed by it. When we recall the bloody mess of the cross, it should remind us of the bloody mess of our sin. We don't like that, do we? But how else are we going to understand how God's love is so radically different than our own? Because right now we want to stop and project our love on God. Like, no, all the good things, the positive things. But we can't. You can't understand the radical, extraordinary, lavish love of God without looking at the ugly, messy, grotesque, bloody cross. first thing we should see is suffering and physical death. The second thing we should see is something that I think is less seen. But can I just say this? As brutal as the physical suffering of the cross was, you know it paled in comparison to the suffering Christ endured when he experienced momentary separation from the favor of God. Don't think for one moment that the physical death of Jesus was the extent of the price that he paid on the cross. You see, we're told in the book of Matthew, on the ninth hour while Jesus was on the cross, Jesus cried some words. And people heard the words that he cried and recorded it in scripture. And the words that he cried out on the ninth hour was this. My God, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tragic, sad, despairing. In that moment, Jesus felt the full weight of the Father's wrath. And in that moment, he felt the full displeasure towards sin. In that moment, he was momentarily separated and removed from the good pleasure of the Father. <laughs> I think we hear this often, right? As humans, we, we children with parents or our children it's like okay spank me and that hurts but but look at me and say you're disappointed there's kind of a different type of hurt there right and and again our our understanding is limited and this analogy is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but what I'm trying to tell you is there was a physical suffering going on but even heavier and deeper than that there was a feeling of the father's displeasure over sin that Jesus in that moment said my god my god why why have you turned your back why have you forsaken me Think about it. After spending eternity, how long is eternity? Think about that. How long is eternity? 
after spending eternity in loving communion, even one moment of separation can be unimaginably excruciating. On the cross, and I, I need you guys to get this, but you don't get anything else. On the cross, are you ready? Jesus was treated like a sinner, punished and separated from God's pleasure so that you and I could be treated like Jesus, favored and forever connected to the Father. You see that? On the cross, Jesus was punished and separated from God's pleasure. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he was a sinner, yet he knew no sin. On the cross, why was he treated that way? So that you and I could be treated like him as if we lived perfectly righteous. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus was treated like a sinner, punished and separated from God's pleasure. So that you and I could be treated like Jesus, favored and connected to God's pleasure. How extraordinary is God's love for us? Who he loves, how he loves, and finally, when he loves. When he loves. That makes his love so special. Another word of saying, another way we could say who is the objects of his love. Remember what the objects were? Sinners and haters. Another way we could say how he loves is the cost of his love. So if the object were sinners and haters, then the cost was separation and death. Finally, when he loves, or another way we could say is the timing of his love. The timing of his love. This timing really makes all the difference in the world. This one word I'm going to insert here is really going to be the difference between your love and God's love. You ready for this? Christ died, here it is, before. Before. What does that mean? You see, man's love is after. God's love is before. Christ's love died before. You see, before you ever went to church, you hated church. You wanted nothing to do with church. You were dragged to church. You never went to church before. Before you cared to read the Bible, you hated his word. You hated looking at the Bible and it's saying about your sinful life and there's so many rules. You hated the Bible. You hated God's word. It wasn't blessing. It represented cursing. You wanted nothing to do with it. Some of you in here cursed the word of God. You hated his word before you cared to read the Bible before you paid your tithes. Oh, great. You paid your tithes. God just loves you now. Now that you pay your tithes, like God needs your money, right? Like we have such this ridiculous idea that if we give, we're just going to be, God's going to give us so much more. So just keep giving so God can give me more. No, that's not how it works. Before you ever gave one penny to the offering, before you attended church, before inspired church, before you went to a connect. Before you signed a covenant that said, I would serve two on, two off every other Sunday. <laughs> For those of you attendance by, you probably understand. Some of you are like, what is he? Where is he going? I don't mean to have insider language. I just want to make sure everyone understands in here. Before, 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 Christ loved you and died for you before you did any one of those things. Wow. <laughs> before you did any one of those things. Any one of those things. So what does that mean? That also means that while, right, before I did those things, he loved me and died for me. That also means that while you were an atheist, while you loved your sin, while you rejected him, 
and rejected his people and you probably called them crazy holy rollers. And to be honest, I don't blame you sometimes. <laughs> while you lied, while you cheated, and while you stole, Christ loved you and died for you before all those things. <laughs> what, what is... Right timing for God often feels like right, wrong timing for man, right? Like God's right timing is our wrong timing. I mean, when is it ever time to die, first of all? Right? In the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The timing of our love is always after, but the timing of God's love is always before. Man's love says, prove it, and I'll love you. God says, I proved it, and I love you. I want, to, I want you to listen to the final sentence in this section. It's in verse 11. If you're there, you can follow along. And I know the team's coming up. We might be a little bit longer here. Some of you are like, oh, we're ready to go. <laughs> but I, I want to make sure we capture this. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to sing because I think it's right to respond to God's love. Like once we understand his love and we respond to it, that's how God created us. Um, but I want, I want you to pay attention to verse 11. It says this. We'll flash it up there for you on the screen as well. It says this. We also rejoice. It's a key word. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom... Through Jesus Christ, we have now received what? Reconciliation. What have we received? Amen. The entire Christian life, and I know, I, well, I don't know. I could possibly get a little trouble for this, but I, I really believe this. The entire Christian life can be summed up in this simple phrase. If you want to know what the Christian life looks like, the entire Christian life can be summed up in this simple phrase. Here it is. God reconciles, we receive and rejoice. God reconciles, we receive and rejoice. I know, I know that's too simple. You need more rules. I know this is just, it can't be that easy. We need 20 steps on how to attract God's favor in our lives. No, God reconciles, you receive it, and you rejoice over that reconciliation. The entire Christian life can be summed up in that phrase. What do I mean by that? Let me explain reconciliation. By reconciling, Paul means all that God has done to restore a relationship with him that had been previously torn apart. Now watch. Typically... Have you ever been like in a fence with somebody? Have you ever ignored somebody? You and your friend ever got into a fight? You, you just started, maybe some of you right now, maybe a family member, right? Well, typically, when you reconcile, when you come back together, it takes two parties to kind of meet in this middle ground, and there's some reconciliation. But this is not so with God. I want you to see this. In Christ Jesus, God has pursued us, redeemed us, restored us, brought us back to him in Christ God has suffered bled separated died and resurrected so that we might be joined back together with him in that list of reconciliation what part did you play 
part did you play? What part did you play? In that list of reconciliation, you did absolutely nothing. God did it all. He pursued you. He restored you. He reconciled you. He bled. He died. He lived perfect. He lived righteous. He resurrected. So what's our part? Paul says, all you do is receive. By receiving, Paul means the passive role that we play in this entire love story. <laughs> On our part, in our power, we do nothing. <laughs> so useless. Oh, no. We trust. We believe. We trust. We believe. We take confidence. We behold. We look at. We stare. We wonder. And we study. We trust and believe and receive what God has done for us to win us back to him in Christ Jesus. Finally, as a result of receiving, rejoicing should be the natural thing that takes place. Rejoicing. Rejoicing becomes our response. And we say this every week at Inspire. We said this this morning. That's what worship is. It's not 20 minutes before service starts. I got to get there for worship. It's music. That's not what worship is. Worship is a life responded and yielded to the God who has loved us before. To the God who has loved us extraordinary. To the God who has loved us like no man has ever loved you. To a God that has loved you like no woman has ever loved you. Worship is a response to the extraordinary love of God. And it's not songs. It's a life dedicated to Christ. It's a life given to Jesus, trusting his word, obeying it, even if it challenges your flesh. What does worship look like? It's a life given to Jesus. Are you ready? In selfless sacrifice, even if it costs you comfort. It's life given to Jesus for his glory, not yours. For his goals, not yours. And this might sting a little. You know I love to sting. A life that lacks worship is a life that is still not grasping the extraordinary love of God. If we really are in awe of who he is and what he's done, then we gladly lay down our lives in response to his love because his love is like no other love we've ever felt before. No other love. He is worthy. There's nobody else that can compel you the way the love of Christ can compel you through Jesus Christ. Two things. I want us to respond to this revelation because we were made to respond. If I just prayed and you just left, we wouldn't have responded to this beautiful, glorious revelation. So we're going to respond and worship. Not everyone worships the same. Don't get legalistic right now. Somebody wants to sit down. Somebody wants to stand up. There's two types of people here. If somebody gets annoyed by the loud person, right? And the loud person looks at the person that's not making noise and getting annoyed, right? Both of you stop it. Let's worship the way that God wants us to worship. Here's what I want you to do. The way that you do, we're going to sing songs. We invite you to take in part of this and allow this revelation to sit for a moment. I'm going to come back and we're going to dismiss and pray. 
This week, uh, I have a couple of questions that I would love for you to reflect on, and we'll be talking about these questions throughout your connects. If you haven't tried to connect, I would encourage you to find one. It's a place where we go from sitting in rows to sitting in circles and just discussing the beauty of the scriptures. And so this week, I invite you to any one of our connects uh, just to discover the extraordinary love of God. And here are some of the questions that we're going to be thinking through the week. I want to give them to you, and then I want to bless you and pray with you and dismiss you. Number one, what part of God's love has impacted you? What part of God's extraordinary love has personally impacted you? Number two, how have you projected the way man loves onto the way God's loves and how has that negatively affected you? How has it affected you? How have you projected on the God the way that you love or the way that someone has loved you and how has that affected you in receiving his love? And finally, number three, What are some ways we narrowly define worship and how do we lead lives in response to God's extraordinary love? How do I lead a life that responds to God's love, not a life that's trying to attract it? So, so excited to be able to spend time with you guys in circles this week and just pray together and talk through that. Um, But let's pray. Every head bowed. If there's anyone in this room that feels very distant from the love of God, maybe even feels a little offended by it, because the love of God is interesting, because we would think that love is not offensive, but when the cross and sin is involved and the gruesome, grotesque nature of it and why God has done it, sometimes the gospel, as beautiful as it is, can really be offensive. It can cut. It can cut. I want you to know that's okay. Uh, We embrace the Holy Spirit. Because when he cuts, he doesn't cut to hurt. He cuts to heal. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone in this room who's dealing with offense. Anyone in this room, the enemy is attacking the mind, the flesh, and the heart wants to resist this as much as possible. But I I just declare that you would see the matchless, unique, extravagant, lavish, uh, never seen, unparalleled, extraordinary love of God, and that the beauty of his love, the unconditional, no limit, no boundary, love me before I wanted anything to do with him, love of Jesus Christ would woo us and romance us beyond our fears, woo us and romance us beyond our anger, woo us and romance us beyond those things in life that have tore us and broken us down that we would respond we would respond we would respond and i pray that inspired church would raise up a church that responds to the love of god not the preaching of a man not the not performance that we wouldn't be a performance-based church it would be a church that simply responds out of delight not duty right out of goodness and not guilt we would do all things we would serve we would we would we would attend service we would be a light we would evangelize not because we have to but because the love of god compels us and so i just even rebuke guilt shame not feeling like you've measured up god's I want to say this one word and we're finished. If God loved you at your worst, why don't you believe that he loves you right now? If God loved you when you were a hater and an enemy, what what gives you the right to doubt his love right now for you? Maybe there's a a saint in this room struggling with sin and you've fallen deep and and you feel like you're out of his will and you're questioning your salvation. Let me ask you this. If God loved you when you hated him and wanted nothing to do with him, why do you doubt 
Why are you doubting his love? Now turn from repent and believe again. So God, we love you. We honor you. We declare this day to be your day. Bless the connects this week. May your spirit be indwell inside each and every one of us for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you. We love you so much. Enjoy your week. We'll see you back next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspiredchurches.com for more information.